You can go ahead and open your Bible to Matthew 6. Matthew 6. This afternoon, we're continuing our journey through this gospel of Matthew. And we're going to be giving our attention to Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24 this afternoon. Now, while I don't normally provide a title for my sermons, this afternoon I'm going to. So this is like a really special privilege. Uh, The title is borrowed from a book by a guy named James K.A. Smith, and it's this, You Are What You Love. You Are What You Love. Smith begins his book by asking this question. He says, what do you want? He argues that this is the most important question we can ask in Christian discipleship. What do you want? When Jesus calls his disciples, he essentially comes to them with, with this question. What do you want? So we read in, in John 138, Jesus asks Andrew, what are you seeking? He doesn't ask Andrew, what do you know? He doesn't ask him, what do you believe? He asks him, what do you want? What we want, or we might say what we treasure and desire, is one of the most important things about us because our treasure gives shape to our lives. What we treasure gives direction to our journey through life. It guides our minds and our actions. Smith writes this, he says, You are what you love because you live toward what you want. You are what you love because you live toward what you want. What you want acts as a compass that guides our steps, making us who we are. Now, back in 2009, there was a a show that uh, premiered uh, that made this very point. And the show was titled Hoarders. Hoarders. While I have never seen the show, I am aware that this show is all about people and their stuff. It's about people and how they have become completely defined by their stuff. They are hoarders. Now, each episode tells the story of some catastrophe that has taken place because of all this hoarding. Now, here's the description of one episode where they profile and seek to help a lady named Robin. It says this, The stench emanating from Robin's home can be smelled from the street. The garbage inside is piled from floor to ceiling, and the house is literally caving in around it. The hoard is so bad that the city has condemned the house and has plans to demolish the property. They have resorted to sleeping in cars, parks, and now a low-income housing development. Robin's only hope of saving her home is to clean it out. Dun, dun, dun. Now, while I was pretty shocked by the, the few descriptions I read of this show, the thing that was most stunning to me was that this show is now in its 12th season, having aired 136 episodes. Now, the producers of this show, they just keep finding story after story after story to tell, person after person who is defined by their out-of-control hoarding of stuff. Now, while I think we would like to think that we are far more unlike these people than like them, the disturbing thing is, like some kind of plague, there is some bit of hoarder in us all. We all like stuff. We all at some level want to accumulate stuff. We want to store up our own treasures. It doesn't matter how much we already have or if it makes sense to have more. We have eyes that look and hearts that long for more stuff. But why is that? Why why all this seeking and all this longing? Why all this accumulating? Around the beginning of the 5th century, a man named Augustine, he described this restlessness, this longing that we all have inside of us, and he said, 
Because God has made us, we are made for Him. He says, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. We were all born with longing in our hearts. We were all seeking something. It could be possessions. It could be peace or satisfaction. It could be happiness or success or comfort or security or something else. We go about our days seeking out what we think is true, what we think is good and beautiful. And it's these, these longings, they shape us. They make us who we are. But if we long for the wrong things, we will never be satisfied. Ask Mick Jagger how it's going for him. 55 years since he sang, I can't get no satisfaction. He still can't. If we seek the wrong things, we will never have peace. There is only one thing, only one person who can bear the weight of our longings, who can give us satisfaction. And that peace is found in God alone. So it's important that we seek the right things, that we have the right treasure, because otherwise we will never find the rest that we are after. This afternoon, as we look at our text, we are going to ask three questions that address the longings of our hearts. They probe our desires as Jesus both warns and encourages us to set our affections on the right things, to want the right stuff. They act to calibrate and to orient the compass of our, of our hearts in, in the right direction. So with that in mind, follow along with me as we read from the Word of God, Matthew 6, beginning in verse 19 through 24. Hear what Jesus, the teacher, has to say to us today. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Bow your heads and pray with me. Father, help me, Spirit, be with us as we receive from your word. Uh, may your word Im, impre- be impressed deeply upon our hearts by your Spirit. And uh, may we live lives conformed to what you have for us this afternoon. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to navigate our text under these three questions, or three questions, and I'm just going to give you the first right now. The first question is this Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? Verses 19 and 20. In these verses, Jesus draws a very clear picture for us as he calls us to store up treasure in the right place. Now, by treasure, Jesus is referring to that which we prize most, that which we value above everything else. And Jesus clearly assumes something about us here. He assumes that we all have treasures. It is human nature to store things up. That's why Hoarders is just going to keep on airing as long as people are willing to watch. We are all born longing and seeking out, longing for and seeking out treasure. And we have all kinds of treasures. Our treasures could be small or big. They could be tangible or intangible. But if it means everything to you, then it is your treasure. That is the thing that you are living for. 
But Jesus isn't concerned with the fact that we have treasures. He is concerned with where we keep that treasure. Or better, what kind of treasure we are storing up. That's what Jesus cares about. And there are only two kinds of treasures. There's only two places that our treasure can be stored. In heaven or on earth. So let's consider these two options. Now to lay up treasure on earth is to be given to the things of earth. To long for the things that are are right here around us. Our earthly treasure could be physical possessions that are valuable. Things like our house or our car or some family heirloom. We might actually treasure these things, as in you have a treasure chest full of gold coins and goblets and jewels, but more likely you have a bank account or a garage or a house where you store up your treasures on earth. But our earthly treasures, they're not just confined to physical things. Our earthly treasures could be people, who they are physical, people in relationships. It could be your spouse or your parents. It could be your children or your friends all the relationships that mean everything to you. Or our earthly treasures, they could be less tangible. It could be your reputation, what other people think about you. Or your business success, your accomplishments, your good health, your comfort. These could be everything to you. These could be your treasures. There is seemingly no end to the earthly treasures we might have. But what all of these things, all of these earthly treasures, what they have in common is this. No matter how good, no matter how wonderful they might be, they all have this in common. One day they will be gone. They will not last. The issue is not if these earthly treasures will be lost. It's only a matter of when. All earthly treasures are subject to the same fate. Jesus tells us first that that earthly treasures, that which is stored up on earth, it will decay. It will eventually fade. He says... Treasure that is stored up on earth, moth and, ru- moth and rust come and, and destroy it. They b- bring decay. So your favorite pair of jeans will one day wear out. Your favorite car will eventually die. Your house will eventually need to be repaired or be torn down. The sad reality is that there is something wrong with every earthly treasure. Martin Lloyd-Jones likens our earthly treasures to a beautiful flower. Now, as I'm not that old, but as I've gotten older, I appreciate uh, horticulture and the plants and the flowers that are around us, and I I like those things around our home. But if I cut one of those flowers and bring it inside, immediately it begins to die. I can maybe slow down that process of dying, but at some point it's going to have to be thrown away. And that same thing is true of everything in this life and in this world. After talking about moth and rust, then Jesus turns to thieves. He uses this picture of a thief breaking in and stealing to further illustrate the problem with earthly treasure. This could be a literal thief who comes in and takes what belongs to you. But I think what Jesus is ultimately warning against is that those that have their sights set on the world, all of their ambition, thoughts, hopes, and interests rest in life in this world, and the ultimate thief of this world is time. And time for us always ends in death. Everything around you is decaying over time. Everything you have will one day be taken from you. You yourself are fading away. You brought nothing into this world, And you will take nothing with you when you leave. 
death will make sure of that. Now, through this picture, Jesus is reminding his listeners that death is coming to take your earthly treasures. It will steal everything you have. It will take everyone you care about. It will destroy everything you accomplish. Death will take from you everything you hold dear. Now, this all sounds hopelessly depressing. But thanks be to God, this is not all that Jesus has to say. He contrasts the ultimate fading and failure of our earthly treasures with treasures laid up in heaven. The treasures that are laid up here aren't destroyed by moth or rust. Here, thieves cannot break in and steal. Here, death has no access. As Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.4, the treasure that is in heaven is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you. So what are these heavenly treasures, and how do we lay up treasures in heaven? I asked my kids this last night, and one of my children suggested, which I thought was pretty brilliant, that perhaps there was a hundred-layer trampoline, and if you just bounce high enough on that trampoline, you can just lay up your treasures in heaven. (laughs) Well, that's a very creative idea. That's not what Jesus had in mind. Paul gives us clear instruction in Colossians 3. He writes, Colossians 3, 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul goes on then to describe those things that we are to put to death. And so he lists things like immorality and anger and lying and unkindness. And those things that we were to put on, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Ultimately, Paul is saying that because of who you are, your life is hidden with Christ and God, live then this way. Seek this heavenly treasure. Seek the things that are above. Which takes us a little deeper in answering our question, how do we lay up treasures in heaven? The way to lay up treasures in heaven is all about viewing life in the right way. It's not about denying reality, but viewing life in the right way. It's a byproduct, a result of knowing who we are and whose we are. The fact of the matter is, we are sojourners and strangers in this world. We are travelers just passing through. We are not to be resident Christians, making our home in this world. But we are to live as exiles, those who were made for another home, a heavenly one. When we live this way, it will be so much easier to lay aside the weight of the cares of this world, which burden and distract us. So we are to have our eyes fixed on heavenly treasure. And do you know, do you know where that heavenly treasure ultimately rests? In Christ Jesus. And Jesus tells us the reason for having our eyes fixed there in verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's why the place of our treasure matters so much because that's where our heart is going to go. Jesus tells us that what we desire is what we will pursue. You are what you love. If we desire earthly treasure, things like money or the praise of men, then this is where our hearts will be, confined to this earth. In Matthew 6, the last two weeks, we've been looking at uh, Jesus talking about hypocrisy. And he talks about how those who do righteous acts for the praise of men 
they're going to get their reward. And if you remember, their reward is confined to the praise of men. It's earthly treasure. But if they do these things for the glory of God, to please God, your Father in heaven will reward you. If our desire is heavenly treasure, the glory of God, the reward He brings, then this is where our hearts will be. It will be set on Him. And this brings us to our second question. So we first asked, where is your treasure? Second, what are you looking toward? What are you looking toward? In verses 22 and 23, we come to an illustration uh, that, that is initially a bit confusing, I think, for us. But it ties in well with what Jesus is warning us against and encouraging us toward. And here Jesus talks about the eye. And he begins by describing the eye as the, the lamp of the body. And what he means is that what we see illuminates the body. Our eyes allow us to find our way. In this way, either our eye can fill us with light or fill us with darkness. So Jesus says if your eye is healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. Now for your eye to be healthy, it means that it is, it is good, that it is free from disease, that it is able to see rightly and clearly. Now this, I want to tell you about something about myself. It doesn't affect me really at all, so don't feel bad for me. But I'm legally blind in one eye. And I have, so my left eye, it's a good eye. And I can see clearly. And when I look out of that eye, I see one of each of you. My right eye is bad. And it is distorted. And I see at least two of each of you, if I can see any of you. And that's, if your eye is bad, then your whole body is going to be full of darkness. It doesn't process light in the right way. I'm not able to see clearly. My vision is impaired. It's disease. And when an eye is bad, it doesn't let in the light, only darkness. This is what Jesus is describing. He describes this elsewhere. He, in John 3.19, he says that the light has come into the world and people have loved the darkness rather than the light. They have bad eyes, is what Jesus is saying here. Their eyes have been fixed on the wrong thing, the wrong treasure. The way to have a healthy eye is to look toward the right things. It is to look toward the one we are made for. The writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 11.6, Hebrews 11 is this, people call it like the faith hall of fame, and he tells us in 11.6 that without faith, faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. It takes faith to know that He rewards those who seek Him. This is our God. He is the one who does this. He rewards those who seek Him. The writer of Hebrews goes on to describe how Abraham walked by faith. And he says that he walked by faith because he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. He was looking forward to that city. And then in verse 13, it says that, talks about Abraham, the other patriarchs. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. 
But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This is their reward. And it was realized as they walked by faith and not by sight, as they had their eyes fixed on the right place, their eyes fixed on the kingdom of God, fixed on the reign of Jesus Christ. More than that, when we have our eye in the right place, when we are focused on the right thing, when our eye is healthy, when it is good, we are set free to enjoy the many gifts that God has given us in this life on earth. To be heavenly minded, to serve Jesus Christ as your Lord, does not mean that you're signing up for a joyless existence marked by depression and misery and poverty. Far from it. To be heavenly minded, to have your treasure in the right place and to be looking toward the right thing means that we are no longer in bondage to having to find our happiness from stuff that is dying, decaying, and can't satisfy us. We're no longer in bondage to that. When our happiness is located in the things of the earth and we're only left with an anxiety over what we're going to one day lose. And this is what we're going to hear Jesus address next week as we proceed in Matthew 6. But when our joy is located in Christ, when we seek the things that are above, when we look to heaven, our joy is enduring. Our hope can't be touched. And when this is the case, the, the decaying of the world around us isn't cause for fear, but it's a reason for, for deeper joy. Because all that we have around us is not stuff to be gained, stuff to hold on to. It's not our treasure stockpile, like put it in the chest quick before the thief comes in and steals it. That's not what we've received. What we've received are gifts, gifts from a heavenly Father that we are then called to steward, to be good stewards of, for the glory of God. We are stewards of everything that we have. We don't possess any of it. So stop acting like we possess it. We've been given these things from the hand of a generous Father that we might enjoy them and use them to bring Him glory. I'm reminded of Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to share this as our benediction as well, but I'm going to read it here right now. And, and he exhorts Timothy to remind the church. He says, because I think this is many of us, as for the rich in this present age, this is 1 Timothy six seventeen, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Your house, God richly provides you to enjoy. The meals that you get to eat, God richly provides you to enjoy. The relationships that you have, God richly provides you to enjoy. But don't set your hopes on them. Remind them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That is truly life, brothers and sisters. So what, do you, what are you looking toward? Look to that which is truly life. And this brings us to our third question. Who do you serve? So where is your treasure? What do you look toward? Who do you serve? Jesus is pointing out in Matthew 6 that the way that we look at the things around us will ultimately determine our relationship with God. 
The world around us, the earthly treasures that we seek, these things are never satisfied with just half of our hearts. We need to understand that. The earthly treasures are never satisfied with just half of our hearts. They want all of us. They want our wholehearted devotion and allegiance. So Jesus says in Matthew 6.24, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And we all face this question each and every day. Who are you going to serve? Who is going to be your master? I think we like to pretend that we can have a life of comfort and riches, that we can love the world and at the same time have all the blessings and reward that God promises. But here God denies this possibility. John Calvin, he writes, God always highly values sincerity and abominates the two-faced character. And we saw this in the first half of Matthew 6 as well. He abominates the two-faced character. Men are entirely deceived if they think that he will be satisfied with half of their hearts. God is not satisfied with half of your heart. God is never satisfied with half of our hearts. He does not call us to be part-time Christians. It's not what we sign up to do. That's not what God saved us to do, be part-time Christians. There's a story I heard of a farmer who was excited to tell his wife and his family that their very best cow had given birth to twin calves, one white and one red. And he came to his wife and he said, I really feel that we must dedicate one of these calves to the Lord. Is there a gift from him? So we will raise them together. And when the time comes, we're going we're gonna to sell one and we'll keep the profit. And the other we will sell and we're going to give all the profit to the Lord. Then his wife asked him, so which one is going to be dedicated to the Lord? The red one or the white one? And the farmer said, we don't need to worry about that right now. We will raise them together, and when the time comes, we'll do as I say. Several months later, the man came into the kitchen looking very sad and miserable. And when his wife asked him what was wrong, he said, I have very bad news. The Lord's calf is dead. But, she responded, "Uh, you hadn't decided which calf was the Lord's. And he said, oh no, I had always decided which calf was the Lord's. It was going to be the white one all along. And it was the white one who died. The Lord's calf is dead. Now, we may chuckle at that story, but this is often the case with ourselves. When given the choice between God and money, God and possessions, God and our earthly treasures, we so often choose the latter. It's the Lord's calf who dies. But Jesus warns us here, you cannot serve God and money. What every disciple of Jesus Christ is called to is wholehearted obedience, wholehearted devotion. And the reason this is, is because it is to Him that we belong. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, that we are not our own, for we have been bought with a price. Jesus, the man who's speaking here, Jesus God's own Son, Jesus God Himself, the light of the world, He came and gave Himself for us. He bought us with His precious 
blood. I've been working on the Heidelberg Catechism with our kids recently, and the first question is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? The answer is this, that I am not my own. I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. I love how it ends. It says, because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. So who is your master? Whom do you serve? Brothers and sisters, Christ Church, let us gladly and readily answer Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Amen. Pray with me. Father, thank You for Your Word that pierces our hearts, and may may we be convicted where we should be convicted. Lord, we are think aware of the many times that we look to earthly treasures for satisfaction, where we store up treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where we serve money as our end. Uh, Lord, bring us to confess our sins and know that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and give us grace to repent and, and turn to you and look to you for satisfaction. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.